Welcome to Litigation Nation. I'm your host, Jack Sanker. Today's stories, they say everything's bigger in Texas. The stakes, the hats, the amount of constitutional challenges coming out of Texas, the scope of content moderation reforms sought by the Attorney General. Today, we're talking Texas and all of the interesting legal developments and challenges coming out of America's 28th state. We've got a bombshell ruling from the Fifth Circuit that could potentially gut the SEC's ability to prosecute and enforce securities violations. Texas declares an open season for plaintiff's lawyers as HB 12, which provides a private cause of action if you're banned on social media platforms, goes into effect. And Texas sues Google for privacy violations regarding its incognito mode on its Chrome browser. All of that and more, here's what you need to know. Up first, a two-to-one ruling by the Fifth Circuit on May 18th that the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC, cannot use its in-house courts to adjudicate securities disputes. This ruling was on a case brought against a hedge fund manager and his investment advisor company, the SEC, which is an executive agency established by the New Deal in 1938 in the wake of the 1929 stock market crash, which governs just that, the trading of securities. Like many federal administrative agencies, the SEC contains its own administrative courts, similar to, say, like OSHA, if anyone has experience with that, something which we may cover in a separate episode. So... Why does the SEC have its own administrative courts? We'll start there. Well, that question is, like everything, a political one. Proponents of the administrative state will tell you that having specialized administrative judges who are experts in the subject matter preside over these kinds of disputes leads to more equitable outcomes and less inconsistent decisions. If you practice long enough, you know what it's like to have to educate the court on the underlying subject matter and how frustrating that the actual administration of justice in that scenario can be. I suppose proponents would also argue that specialized procedures for things like discovery, pretrial proceedings, and even trials speed up the process and would allow for more speedy resolutions of disputes. Now, the SEC has some discretion as to whether to bring enforcement actions in federal courts or in the SEC courts a point of contention raised in the Fifth Circuit opinion, which we'll talk about in a minute. However, excluding delinquent filings cases, the SEC brought about 350 enforcement actions as administrative proceedings in 2021. Over that same period, the SEC's figure shows that it filed 225-ish cases in federal court. Now, I can't independently verify this, but my sense is that cases generally proceed faster in the SEC courts than in federal courts, which should explain why the SEC elects to use those courts more often. Now, opponents of the administrative proceedings and administrative justices would say that those are the exact reasons why they're not good. Basically, since the SEC appoints its own specialized judges, many of whom are civil servants and who, therefore, may have an ideological slant against SEC defendants, so naturally, people might think the entire SEC administrative judicial system is biased against the accused. Fair enough. However, this ruling gets into far more than just that question. Let's get back to the actual case. The defendants in the underlying SEC action were found guilty of fraud in front of an SEC judge. I know that there's no jury trial in these proceedings because that will become relevant when we talk about it later. The defendants then appealed to the SEC commission, which upheld the conviction and rejected several constitutional arguments raised by the appellants, specifically that the administrative law judge, 
or ALJ was biased, that the commission did not use constitutionally delegated legislative power when it elected to prosecute the case within the agency rather than an Article Three federal judge in federal court, that the removal restrictions on ALJ judges are unconstitutional specifically because the commissioners who appoint the ALJ judges are also, as well, ALJ judges themselves and have a good cause removal restrictions. This gets into the nitty gritty of administrative law, which we don't have to do, uh, but something to be aware of. And lastly, that the use of SEC ALJ judges violates the Seventh Amendment of defendants because they are denied their right to a jury. And this is one that we're going to talk about in detail. So I'll spoil the outcome here and read from the opinion. Quote, we agree with petitioners that the proceedings suffered from three independent constitutional defects. One, petitioners were deprived of their constitutional right to a jury trial. Two, Congress unconstitutionally delegated legislative power to the SEC by failing to provide it with an intelligible principle by which to exercise the delegated power. And three, the statutory removal restrictions on SEC ALJs violate Article 2, unquote. Okay, so I read the opinion. It's long. It's outside my area of specific expertise. I understand that the removal concerns, and I generally don't like the idea of the Fed cramming cases through their preferred venues at the expense of defendants, except maybe when it's hedge funds who have been accused of defrauding their investors. I know exactly why this kind of thinking is frowned upon. You shouldn't discriminate based on the type of defendant that's being accused, but mask off here. I think when people are stealing money from the public, my sympathy reserves are pretty low. And that's kind of the heart of this discussion I've been having with my interior monologue since I read this decision, because the Fifth Circuit in particular regularly upholds this type of forced arbitration clauses, for example, uh, in maybe an injury case, things like that, where the victim is going to be forced through the arbitration process, which, of course, does not involve a jury. And again, you could read these opinions and come up with reasons why they are distinguishable from the SEC action, but let me read from the Fifth Circuit opinion for a second. Quote, Thomas Jefferson identified the jury as the only anchor ever yet imagined by man by which a government can be held to the principles of its constitution, unquote. He wrote that in a letter to Thomas Paine, of all people. John Adams called trial by jury the heart of the lungs of liberty. Later, the opinion goes on to say, quote, civil juries in particular have long served as a critical check on government power. So precious were civil juries at the time of the founding that the Constitution likely would not have been ratified absent assurance that the institution would be protected expressly by amendment, unquote. So, folks, this is language in the opinion that is an expression of a principle. It's not legal technicalities which is one I think that most Americans would agree with, especially most lawyers and even defense lawyers like yours truly. This principle expressed in the Fifth Circuit opinion towards hedge fund managers accused of fraud, but not, again, in, say, consumer protection actions where there are forced arbitration agreements that many state courts believe are unenforceable or in injury actions like I mentioned earlier. The practical fallout of this is potentially tremendous, considering similar cases are set to be heard by the Supreme Court this year. So it's plausible that the SEC will lose a significant enforcement mechanism against securities crimes. It's also plausible that this reasoning could be expanded to other administrative agencies, which is a major concern for proponents of those agencies. Difficult to say. 
But generally, this is a big deal for executive agencies at large and something that we will be covering going forward. Up next, sticking with the Fifth Circuit, Texas's HB 20 is now in effect. Now, HB 20 was passed in Texas to allow private individuals to sue social media outlets with greater than 50 million users if they believe they are banned because of their political views. And I'm relying on an Axios report from this week for this piece. HB 12 allows for private citizens to sue for, quote, viewpoint discrimination on any major social network, essentially. And the bill defines censorship as acts that, quote, block, ban, remove, deplatform, demonetize, deboost, restrict, deny equal access or visibility to or otherwise discriminate against expression, unquote. The bill, along with comparable bills in Florida and elsewhere, were introduced after former President Donald Trump was banned from Twitter for, well, whatever you think he was banned for. The Texas bill allows for injunctive and declaratory relief, specifically social media outlets could be forced to unban or do whatever a successful litigant prevails on. More importantly, however, successful litigants would be able to recoup attorney's fees. And we all know what that means. This is going to create an absolute feeding frenzy for entrepreneurial lawyers. Now, critics say that this bill violates Section 230, the infamous general regulation that insulates online services from liability for information and or posts provided by online third parties. The Texas bill is kind of funny because one way around content moderation laws in Texas is to just ban everyone in Texas from posting on Facebook or Twitter outright, but the Texas law specifically outlaws geographic discrimination as well. There's no real hot takes on this. Large swaths of people in this country are not happy with the content moderation that is happening on the internet and are looking to do something about it. Maybe you pass a law making content moderation illegal. Maybe you buy Twitter like Elon Musk. We like to keep tabs on trends like this here at Litigation, and we'll continue to do so. Our last story, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who, if you've been following the show or the news in general, you know has been extremely busy, and he likely will be for the next few years, added claims to a lawsuit last week against Google for Google's incognito mode, which is its, and I'm doing air quotes now, private browsing option for Google Chrome, which is Google's web browser. Paxson alleges that calling it private implies the web browser function won't track search history or location history. And I'm citing to a Law360 article on this. The lawsuit said Google offers the option of private browsing that could include viewing highly personal websites that might indicate, for example, their medical history, political persuasion, or sexual orientation. Or maybe they simply want to buy a surprise gift without the gift recipient being tiffed off by a barrage of targeted ads, unquote. The suit said, in reality, Google deceptively collects an array of personal data even when a user has engaged in cognito mode, unquote. Now, in January, an Arizona judge ruled that allegations of Google deceiving users with unclear smartphone location tracking settings uh, would proceed to jury trial, refusing to toss a lawsuit brought by the state's attorney general. So these lawsuits do have legs, and they are picking up all over the country. I don't mean this in a bad way or even in a way that needs to be rebutted, but right now Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is the most activist attorney general I can think of. 
continuing to push against established political and legal norms, which is why he and Texas has been the news so much, and why we'll continue to cover them on the show. It feels like we've been covering Texas a lot over recent episodes, and the reason for that is because, in my opinion, Texas is on the cutting edge of using the law to enforce its political, ideological, and policy outcomes. There is, of course, the abortion bounty laws, which is a new and novel way of enforcing the law. There's lawsuits against big tech. There's recent legislation which would give shareholders the right to sue executives if the company engages in pro-abortion activity, which would be one of a kind. Laws that would penalize businesses who provided medical insurance that covers abortion. And, of course, there is this SEC ruling that would potentially gut the major enforcement mechanisms of not just the SEC, but potentially all federal executive agencies basically gut the executive administrative power of the New Deal agencies. So there is just a lot going on in Texas. Whether you think that's good or bad for your personal politics, that's all the more reason to pay attention. Thanks, everyone. That's the show. Reminder, every Tuesday, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your shows. We'll do our best not to focus so heavily on Texas specifically next week, but there's no promises as Texas really, really, really seems to want to be in the news lately. So with that being said, we'll talk to you next week.